Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggles of the independent filmmaker. I am Liz Manichel. And I am Ulrich Brussel. This week we have two directors, uh, Lee Cummings and Mitch Altieri, on the show to talk about their new film, Starlight, uh, which hit VOD on August 4th. They talk about working together on the film, how they collaborated, and what they learned along the way. I mean, that's what we do as filmmakers, all of us. Does this seem real? You know, we're watchers of truth. So it's always, you know, he's checking with me. I'm looking at the monitor going, oh, that looks weird. And like, he's like, okay, let's change some things up, whatever. Ulrich, uh, what's going on in the news? Pretty much every big movie in the world has been canceled, but not really canceled. They're more like they're delayed till 2021 or some don't even have release dates anymore, which who the hell knows what's going to happen. But Liz, I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyways, like what is going on with Tenant? Can you tell us anything? I, so, okay, my partner, Sean, was the post coordinator on Tenet, right? So just as a reminder, and I pressed him about it this morning. And I'm like, is there anything that you could tell me for the podcast? He's like, no. And he found out about all the delays through like Variety, through like Google searches. <laughs> like no one told wow. him. Anyway, Sean is officially off payroll and no longer on the job. So um, he won't get any inside information anymore. But does that mean that his NDA is done so he can tell us things? Or does it mean that, <laughs> no, the NDA lasts forever. He can't say anything. It probably lasts forever, but also he genuinely doesn't know anything. <laughs> okay, copy that, copy that. Well, the, the thing that really perplexes me about this whole thing, which I find interesting, is that other movies do have release dates in the fall, like the new Bill and Ted movie. So what does that mean? Like it's, it's released for September or something in 2020. And then it's also getting a day and day and date VOD. Um, but is it just going to be like, oh, well, hopefully we can release it in theaters. But if not, we'll just release it on VOD that same day. Is that what they're thinking? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. And um, I we're, I think, as we talked about earlier, like we're about to go into like a strict two week quarantine. So just the idea of going to movie theater <laughs> isn't like mind blowing to me at this moment. I have no idea. I, maybe it's a marketing move. Maybe they're really, they have faith in audiences and our country and our um, <laughs> COVID strategies. <laughs> but yeah, I, I have no idea. I wish I could like tap, look under the hood of these, um, these studios to see why they make the decisions that they do. Yeah. Cause I, I haven't really looked up any theater information, but the last time I did look, it was like saying that they were going to reopen in, in mid July, but obviously that's not happening anymore. So I don't know. I mean, I just keep on going by my movie theater every day or not every day, but every week it just like, like looking at the marquee, like, is there like an opening date on there? But alas, it's the same that it's been for months. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I really want to go back to the movie theater so badly. I mean, we were talking to Tara Lynn, Tara Lynn Shropshire last week, and she was talking about like, you know, with your popcorn and your Diet Coke and, and right. some of her answers. And I'm like, oh my God, like I want to have my popcorn and my soda and go to a movie theater again. Like, oh dude, so fun. I'm much more comfortable being around people social distance than you are. Um, I yes. mean, shit. <laughs> I produced a whole shoot where we, we were social distancing and you know, whatever. Looks like I'm going to do another one soon. So anyways, but uh, this is just the world we live in, Liz. Got to get used to it. Got to be comfortable. Got to go. I just have to calm down in life. Yeah. <laughs> Let's shut about the alternate. Where are you? Oh, Where are you oof. in the state of the alternate? 
The alternate. Oh my gosh, what a roller coaster for me. I mean, I'm um working on like what I think will be the penultimate cut, I guess, like the cut before the final cut, hopefully. And I've gotten uh, some scratch ADR from my actors that I'm throwing in. And like, there's a couple shots that we were missing of computer screens and stuff. And I did versions of all of those in my house with my camera. And some of them are pretty good. Like they might stay because they're so close. Like, I don't really feel like bringing out the red camera or anything is going to make that big of a difference. And I, I know that my cinematographer has no interest in shooting little portions of screens, you know, for information. So the goal is basically to get like all the shots in and then have all the timing down so that like, even if we do have to go shoot a couple more things that we can pretty much lock the cut and then just like drop right, in the final out. versions of the, of the shot. So I'm kind of hoping to be um, completely locked uh, by the time that you're hearing this episode. This is coming out on August 10th or 9th or whatever that Monday is. Oh, my God. Um, that's huge. But Liz, what about you? What's your new script? Like, How's that going? Are you st- still outlining? Are you actually in final draft yet? Like, What's going on? Um, I'm having a lot of fun. I can't even tell you. It's like the thing that's bringing me joy. Finally, um, you're glowing when you talk down. about it. You have this big like <laughs> smile on your face. I was like excited to talk to you about it today. So I haven't written anything in terms of like, I'm like still very much germinating. But I know it's a musical. I know it's um, I know I'm really excited. A little bit country, a little bit rock, but it always tells a story. Mm-hmm. And I know it's set at a bar. And anyway, we're watching Eddie and the Cruisers. We watched Roadhouse. We're, we're watching oh, these fine. movies that are in the same vein of what I want to make. And like, I'm thinking about Nico Case a lot. Anyway, point Ooh, being, fun. it's like really fun just to think about like, what do I want to watch and what do I want to do? I think this is the most joyous part of filmmaking other than finishing a movie is like, what do I want to do? What could I do? Let's not think about budget. Let's not think about every all the politics. Let's not build the crew yet. Let's just like dream. So um, I'm dreaming right now. <laughs> That's awesome. So I also have a question for you. This is also based off of the alternate. Um, but like I am racing towards the Sundance deadline and it's like coming up in September and you know, I'm talking to like my, my sound people and I, I haven't really talked to the visual effects people, but I know it's going to be a, a push to get them done. But uh, the question is, like, should I try to submit by the regular deadline, like, you know, no matter what? And like, even if like their visual effects are rough and some score is rough and the sound design is like the second or first, first or second pass, but not the final pass. Like, should I be OK submitting that version of the movie, Um, you know? whatever like on the regulated line or should i just wait finalize the whole thing make it perfect polish it up and then send it on the late deadline i mean general general um orthodoxy is and said by the programmers themselves is get it in the best state possible get it in the place where they can't deny its quality you know because you can make a lot of excuses like you don't really know if that temp visual effects is really going to get 10 times better it may get one and a half times better you don't know you can't guarantee anything to them um if you're in a place where you're applying to the late deadline or even asking for a waiver um for an extension then you're um and you feel comfortable doing so then you're probably in a place where you know the programmers because like the majority of the slate is already it may have already been done right now I know that sounds crazy it's July but it's like I remember like really early in the game 
um, last year I was talking to like a senior programmer and he was like, oh yeah, we've already sent out acceptances. And it was like they just opened up because there's tracking and there's like, you know, lobbying and there's like this whole other side game that happens. So what I would do for you is, I mean, I would want you, the film to reflect the filmmaker that you are. And I'd want it to be as good as possible. Um, yeah, you have to split the difference because they're not really going to consider it at all if it comes too late unless you have someone vowing for you or vouching for right, you. Right, 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 right. But, like, I saw your film, Ulrich, and if you're saying it's already in a better shape than it is when I saw it, like, it's already well put together story that they're going to follow, that they're going to, like, the temp, temp effects are not that distracting. Like, I submitted, like, a two and a half hour cut of Bread and Butter. And it's like, that was a massive mistake. But you have a shorter film that only, ha that's basically almost there. So I would say, like, I think it's fine for you to send the rough cut. But general advice should be, like, Pretend it's like your great uncle watching the movie and they don't understand what a title card is and they don't understand what temp FX is and like make it undeniable that um, it's a great movie. So basically like get it as polished as possible, but also get it in as early as possible because earlier is better than later. So like. I, I also like I remember this fabulous filmmaker Tom Miller did a presentation in our film school and he said something like you want to submit to festivals midway through the regular deadline if that makes sense so like halfway through like after early deadline but then that same amount passed to regular deadline in the beginning they're um they haven't hit like fatigue yet but they also haven't seriously considered titles if you go too early and then like they're really in programming their slate once they're in the regular deadline and then by the time you hit the late deadline it is usually too late unless you have someone who's like you got to look at this it's really special but I also think you should act as if and this is not for you Ulrich this is just for everyone but like take a good look at yourself and think am I really going to get into Sundance if you don't really think you're going to get into Sundance make them watch the best film possible okay well, that's even more pressure. But I think, uh, you know, <laughs> for all you out there, do you have some opinion on our show, whether it be a question, comment, suggestion, whatever? Uh, you can email us at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or if you really like the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or any other, other places you can leave comments or reviews for podcasts. Um, we also have a Patreon page. So if you really love the show, and you want to support us, you can go over to patreon.com slash MMIH podcast and give us a dollar, five dollars or nine dollars. And then you'll get a new brand, uh, brand new enamel pin if you give us nine bucks, which is pretty cool. Um, and then Liz, you want to tell people about this last part? Oh, yeah. So we have um, if you go over to our Instagram page, uh, you click in the link in our bio and we have a brand new YouTube page because I don't know if you've noticed, but we're now doing on camera interviews and we're going to be sharing those on our YouTube page. Yes, you finally get to see what we look like. Um, I know just people were chopping at the bit to watch us talk. Um, our goal is to reach 100 subscribers by September. Um, I have a few accounts so I can I can make up at least three of those, but we need 97 more. Yeah, help us be get that 97 more that we need or you know with my two accounts 96 more that we need or whatever so uh yeah but um <laughs> i'm excited for the video i think it's gonna be fun see what happens yeah
So yeah, get shorty. <laughs> Whatever. However, let's talk that about works. let's talk about some short films. So you make movies, huh? I produce feature motion pictures. I got an idea for a movie. So this week we uh, have another short film from a really lovely filmmaker, a great person, and a previous guest of the show, talented filmmaker Lisa Donato, and she has brought her film Foxtrot uh, to us this week. Um, I watched this movie years ago when it was in like post-production she sent it to me to give to, for feedback and uh i loved it then i watched it again this morning i love it now and uh here's lisa to talk about the short i chose to make foxy trot a short film as opposed to a feature because well it's more affordable and also i wanted to experiment with a new type of filmmaking that i hadn't done before which is art house comedy and uh the stakes are much lower in a short film versus a feature. And also I do see a feature version of Foxytrot and the short film serves as like a great proof of concept to be able to sell my idea to potential production companies or investors if they want to turn it into a TV series or a feature. I mostly self-funded this film uh, along with two outside family members. And also we got a lot of discounts on this film. We decided to shoot with an all-female crew and a lot of people wanted to help us out in Austin. We shot in Austin. We got a ton of discounts and I cashed in a lot of favors <laughs> for this film. Uh, I think we even had craft services and catering donated. When I made my first film, Sugar Hiccup, in 2014, I just wanted to see how to make a film and see if I even liked it and I loved it. So I kept making more short films um, because it's very addicting. <laughs> and then it became, okay, so now I can build a body of work and show a diverse set of skills as a filmmaker and specifically as a director. That's exactly what happened when I got my first kind of big gig in Hollywood is uh, the hiring producers went on my website, website after I was recommended by somebody they watched all of my short films on the website, specifically Foxy Trot was one of their favorites. And they offered me my first feature gig and we shot in Louisiana uh, about two years ago and it's about to hit the festivals now. Now that uh, Foxy Trot is out in the world, it is well still touring the film festival circuit, which has been really great. Um, I It's one of those projects where I'm getting the most emails and the most DMs around it. I feel like it's a great conversation piece. Um, and although the film is about two queer women who are trying to learn how to dance together, specifically ballroom dance together and figuring out who the lead and follow is, um, the emails that I'm getting are mostly from hetero couples and uh, just feeling like they connect to the film that there's this inherent power struggle in any kind of romantic relationship, regardless of gender. So Liz, what'd you think about this thing? It's really fun. Uh, I love that. Um, I really was drawn to who I think is the protagonist, which is the, the lady who played the lead dancer, I guess. And I thought her performance was like so refreshing. I don't know what it is about her, but she like just drew me in. Every time she said anything, I was just like, yes, whatever, whatever you want to say, I'm watching you. Um, I think the film is very clever, but it avoids a lot of the obvious jokes, which, you know, I think you could make a lot of like really 
um, base level jokes um, throughout, but I thought it was more graceful um, than that. And um, there are certain moments where I was like really noticing the cinematography and the style, like in the inner, you know, the interstitial elements of the film. And then I don't know, maybe you could explain how they did this, Ulrich, um, or we should just get Lisa to ask. But like there's a shot when the cowboy couple comes up to our leads and like the camera's with them as they dance. And it's like almost as if like everyone's on the same platform, a la Spike Lee, and the camera's like moving as they rotate. Point being, I was impressed. I thought it was really fun. Um, and I thought the style of the film is what really drew me in, like the the aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't really know how they did that, to be honest. I mean, that, that would make sense if they had like a platform and they were kind of spinning around the room, you know, with the camera and the actors on the platform, um, which would be very impressive. Um, but uh, one of the things I liked about the movie a lot was that they made the dancing interesting for for that long, you know, because like most of the movie, they're dancing around in this ballroom. And, you know, it's just one room, you know, a bunch of actors dancing and they, they were able to keep it really fresh and exciting and with the different angles the different approaches the different style of shots that used uh was really good and i just i love the moments when the two the couples would come in and be like talking to uh, our our heroes while they're dancing and just the way those were framed and performed and the energy and the direction it was just it was delightful i mean i think if i was to call the, like use one word to describe this film it would be charming like it's just so charming <laughs> and just like I don't know. Really, really well done. Um, I love the opening parking scene because like that <laughs> is a moment that I've been in with with my spouse, you know, where it's just like trying to park. I'm getting like all this like extra feedback. It, can't even, it doesn't even have to necessarily be like advice on like what I'm doing. It could just be like talking and like you're trying to park and you just can't do it. And then I just love the way that scene played out. It was it was brilliant. And then the way that they carried in the conversation into the the dance hall into the class and they're like still talking about what they were talking about in the car and i just think everything about the writing and the performances are just ah i just love it well i wanted to just like compliment i looked up the dp's work afterwards but i just want to compliment eve m cohen for shoot like the way she shot it just thought it was so crisp and like commercial i hope that's not an insult but it's like very polished and like clean looking which was really nice right at, at one point in a conversation i had with lisa i just said that like i could just see her directing an episode of glow or something like oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i feel like this short film like has that feeling in it you know and like yeah it speaks to that kind of commercial quality and just the energy and the tone of 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 a show like that you know so yeah i just thought it was super cool and I also like the pacing a lot of the movie. I think the, the movie was paced really well. Um, but yeah, it was a fun movie. Congratulations, Lisa. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing it with us. Uh, it was really, I hope people like it as much as we do. <laughs> Let's talk about um, our players of the week. What about truth? What about the reality? What about the way the old ending tested in Canoga Park? So this week we interviewed independent storytellers and our new prompt was because inspired by my new writing process for this new script is how do you start a new script? How do you put together a script? Do you have any rituals? Do you put together a playlist? Do you do an Instagram account? How do you start and how do you keep yourself on track? My name is Nicole D. Manessis. I'm a writer, director, producer working in the Bay Area. Uh, what do I do when starting a new script? 
This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Well, uh, first starting your script is always hard. The blank page is never fun. Um, but I do find it useful to at least try doing a rough treatment. A few paragraphs that kind of lay out the the scope of the story and some, some character details. Um, more recently, I've been using an outline. I find an outline is also very uh, helpful in terms of structuring out the story and uh, referring back to when I'm stuck on a scene. I can look at what's coming next and that helps uh, helps me write my way out of a corner if I'm in trouble. But also just for inspiration, I uh, really like to, um, sometimes you need to take a break. And so I will try and watch a film or read something that's in the same genre that I'm, I'm working on. And that helps get me inspired because I'm either referring to material or film that I really enjoy and that hits that entertainment factor for me. And so that kind of re-sparks my interest and re-sparks, re refuels me to go back and sit in front of the screen and try and write a scene. So looking out for other inspiration, creative works that, that help get you out of your own head, then you can go back to, um, go back to the outline and then going back to the structure of uh, your story that you're working on. Hope that's helpful. Have a good one. Hi, my name is Emily Hagens. I'm a writer and director of five feature films, uh, most recently Coin Heist on Netflix and a segment of the horror comedy anthology Scare Package. I did the segment Cold Open, which is now on Shudder. And so I work in horror and teen films a lot. And so when I'm getting started on a new script, what I like to do is, you know, watch a lot of things of the genre, uh, even movies I've seen a thousand times. I'll, I'll try to pick apart new things that um, I haven't noticed before and how they might apply to my new script idea. So I'll try to watch like three or four films at least uh, before I get started, just as kind of like a warm up. And in terms of an outline, I'll do a very simple outline because I like to embrace kind of comedy and the stream of consciousness writing uh, at least for my first draft so I'll do a kind of basic outline I don't reference it too much but at the top I like to kind of state a theme like what I the central idea behind the movie should be for me like what excites me about the project and that is something I reference and stick to if I feel like I've straight off course and yeah I'll also uh, create some playlists especially if it's a period piece you know I'll try to think you know well let me go through some other playlists from this era and um, pick some some songs that I could kind of see would be in the world of this film I don't really listen to movie soundtracks as much as songs that have lyrics, but I, I do kind of have different playlists for different scripts, and I'll kind of listen to those over and over again. And yeah, that's mostly what I do, watching films, brief outline with kind of basic themes and character ideas and, um, and music. And that's how I get started. So Liz, how do you start uh, writing a script? Do you have any rituals or do you just like, just go? I have just, usually I just go in front of final draft and I just start writing and I don't have an outline and I don't do a beat sheet. And that is really 
I'm trying to think of an, a radio-friendly way of saying it. It has screwed me, um, like just point blank screwed me in the past over and over again uh, because it's just not organized and there's no sense. And I'm like furiously trying to find threads and pull them back. And I, I you know, I have like 80, I usually go through like 20 drafts of a script, which I say most people usually do like less than 10. Um, so I'm trying to outline this one. But we'll see if anyone gives some really good advice and I can follow that. Do you, I assume you outline and kind of do a whole breakdown. Yeah, I wasn't for a long time. Like I just thought that like, oh, I just start writing and just like let the character speak to me and then just like, boom, like it'll come. And then on uh, the alternate um, way, way long ago, I wrote the ending first, just wrote the ending scene. Just, it just flew out of me. And then after that was written, I went back and I outlined the whole thing to the ending. Um but I think on this next one I'm going to write, I don't I don't have the ending like so fresh right now, but I think I'll probably just outline just like I have the characters. I have the the general story. Like, I think I'll have to outline and then maybe the ending will come to me in the outline and I'll write that first. Because I do really feel like for me, writing, starting with the ending is is good because knowing where you're going is is always helpful because well, I've had a lot of scripts where I've written the first uh, act and then then it's it and there's nothing more, you know, um, so I don't know, but I don't really have any like rituals. I, I like to listen to music. Um, I generally like to listen to classical music just because there's no words. And, you know, I feel like they are a lot of classical music is very similar to the movie scores. So it just kind of helps me get into the, to the zone, you know. I think that makes sense. I love that writing the ending because I have been in a situation many times where I don't know how to end the movie at all. And that's and then I'll just like make you internally combust to try to figure out an ending like the perfect <laughs> right. ending and it's so right. much pressure what does that even mean all right well i think without further ado let's get to mitch and lee all right so how many days do y'all uh did you guys shoot starlight what was it that was Three weeks. It was just th- three, three and a half weeks, something like that. Yeah, yeah, about seventeen days, and I think you guys can pick up some LA, right? Yeah, we had f- four, four days worth of pickups, I believe. So yeah, it, it rounded out somewhere around three weeks. Yeah, or maybe three weeks. Yeah, change. exactly. And what was the rough budget, if you can say, of the movie? I don't, I don't know if we're saying that, are we? Are we seen a little, <laughs> a little less than a million. What are we saying over here? Yeah, a little less than a million. I mean, it was shoestring, shoestring. That's as much as we, yeah, you know. (laughs) (laughs) How long did you spend uh, working on the film from like the inception before the script even started until its release? I guess what happened is I had a a friend, one of the producers actually on the film, um, Andrew Odysseus, and he had some money, about maybe about $80,000, and he had a script, and he really wanted to do this, script and it wasn't the original that we ended ended up with because it was kind of a mess but um mitch you know took his uh magical core hands and when he got on got into it and 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 changed it a bit but uh it ended up being starlight which was great but uh, it all fell really quickly almost too quick where you know we had this uh you know we start working on the script uh putting together we we kind of got into this idea of you know youth in the script up and containing the script, as as you guys know, as filmmakers, you know, that's one of the important things when you're D 
dealing with not too much money is to kind of, you know, contain it. And, uh, but at, at the same time, we were also, we had a great casting director uh, with, with Paul Reddy. You know, we had uh, investors coming in and at, all at the same while we were working on the script to get together. And, and then we decided to shoot in, in Kentucky and all that kind of came together. So it was really a, a really fast paced, you know, pre-production that we were dealing with. I mean, Mitch kept saying, we're going to shoot a movie. I'm like, are we going to shoot a movie? He's like, no, we're going to do it. Because initially it felt like it was going to fall flat. But like Mitch said, all these things are like, they just, guys are just, it just lined up, you know, movie, the movie God spoke. So. So then just to be clear, so you brought the script to, to Mitch and then two and a half months later, you're actually shooting the movie in Kentucky. Yeah. That's insane. Wow. How big was your crew on the film? We had a decent sized crew. Um, Kentucky was they really kind of upped their film game, if you will. So they had, um, you know, a lot of productions uh, rolling through there. So we were fortunate to get a lot of seasoned people. And, and you know, we brought in some, some key personnel from California. But uh, we were averaging around, you know, 50, 60 people. Yeah. For a contained horror script, we actually had a, on the larger size, you know, cast. So that, you know, the, the bigger your cast, the more personnel you need, the more makeup and, and hair people, um, you know, uh, wardrobe and all that. And compared to all the other projects you've done, whether it's feature, short, whatever, um, how difficult was this one? Th this one, I, I don't. It was not by far the the hardest. Uh, I've I've been on some pretty hard shoots. I think some of the biggest challenges that I felt like I faced time. We were definitely up against weather. You know, we started off. It was hot. By the end of the shoot, it was getting pretty cold and we knew that we could not go over schedule or anything like that. So, and, and again, just, we moved so fast that, what do you call them? Champagne problems. But since it, <laughs> it all happened so quickly, there were some points on, on set that I felt like, you know, oh, wow, just a little bit more pre-production. We probably could have, you know, ironed out those kinks, but we kind of had to do it there organically. But for the most part, it was a great production. So I, th those, that's what I felt were kind of the hardest parts. I kind of just uh, echo what Mitch said about weather. I mean, we pre-proed a tiny bit and went out there like a, two months beforehand. And it was like the weather was great. But for me, you know, and I think Mitch too as well, um, you know, being in California, we're not really blessed with real seasons. So um, not that, you know, we didn't know, but like it just got, like Mitch said, it got cold really quickly. And we're shooting a summer movie basically in the wintertime. I was happy about that because I'm definitely afraid of snakes and, and spiders and stuff like that. Can we go back really quickly? I know um, there's a lot of context we need, but like, were you able to find financing because of the astounding team you have attached or because of that like base amount of financing to begin with, or is because it was horror or can you talk a little bit about just like getting it off the ground and how you were able to do that in two and a half months? You know, for me, not really having any kind of um, backing behind me. I knew Mitch and, you know, he's, you know, Mitch and Phil and also Jeff, they, they're huge people. So, I mean, because of Mitch and Jeff, and he can answer this for himself, I know for a fact that people wanted to invest because, you know, when he told me if we had, uh, you know, about $80,000, $80, you know, um, and some money to start it with, we had no idea they were going to raise that much money, but it's because of him and, and Jeff that people go, okay, because every movie they've ever done before, They've always had distribution, period. So it's, they're 100 for 100. And every, anybody that's going to invest in the movie knows the movie's going to come out and knows it's going to be really uh, you know, shot well, done well. But go ahead, Mitch. Um, I know it's different for him, but that's I just wanted to kind of jump in from my experience being new. Yeah, definitely to have a little bit of money like that, 80000 uh, does 
absolutely help. You know, you kind of start with, you know, we have some money in the bank. You have Jeff Allard, Cheryl Saralakis, and myself that we've just came off of The Night Watchmen, which did very well. So we, you know, we had some energy. We had some people that were interested in our next moves. As we all know, sometimes fundraising can happen very quickly. Sometimes it can take years to, you know, to put together. So, I, so just because, you know, we, we have, you know, movies under our belt, we all know just sometimes a movie takes, it, it does what it wants to do. Some of them take, you know, a year, two years to really get all that funding together. Some just, it's, a, it's amazing how fast it just, you turn around like, oh, we got all the money that we want. They, they kind of take on a life of its own, but uh, it, it does help to start with a little bit of money attached to it. It's, it's, it's amazing. And what, you know, when you just kind of have a script, uh, energy and, and, but zero dollars in the bank. <laughs> so I want to go back to that phone call, uh, Lee, that you made to Mitch and sort of like talk about like, how did the conversation lead to you guys co-directing? Was that like always the plan from the beginning or that kind of evolved through the process? Like talk to us about how you, that decision was made. Um, I mean, if you want the real truth, the truth is, is that I think we were in uh, L.A. We were with Paul Ruddy. We were casting, you know, something that happened. And you mentioned I took a break. And he walked outside and said, hey, man, things are coming together with the money and stuff like that. You know, and one of the investors, you know, doesn't, you know, want to hand the keys over, basically, because, you know, it's a lot of money that we're dealing with right now. And he's like, well, you know, you can't direct by yourself. They're going to want me to have, you know, some of the some of the reins, too. And I and I agree. I'm like, there's nothing I can do at that point. I mean, I invited it. It's like, yeah, please. I mean, like, you know, I want the movie to happen. And, you know, it's Mitch's probably 90 percent of the money came because of Mitch. So I I was always just like, you know, grateful for that to happen because the movie wouldn't happen without him. I mean, I and I and I love directing with Mitch. It's awesome. So so you were originally going to direct it solo. And then basically you guys decided to, to combine forces in order to, like, help with the casting. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing, too. I think that, you know, people don't show up for me because they don't know me, but people will show up for Mitch. And that's, the, you know, that's the, and so, you know, the casting, we, we had a lot. Of, I mean, I saw a lot of people. I was kind of starstruck. We had a lot of people coming through from television shows from General Hospital. You know, Paul brought these people in, but Paul was like, you know, we've got to change some things up a little bit, you know, and so partially with money, but also two people wouldn't come to not for, for a non-known director and everybody wants to work for Mitch. And I was happy about that because I was like, I can't believe such and such is throwing up right now. I mean, like there's always people from George Clooney from ER. I mean, they wanted their chance or even like um, Eric Balfour and uh, what's, her, what's her name from Seventh Heaven um, for Jeff thing. She took a pay cut to do film. So a lot of them were famous people that wanted to, you know, kind of be there to see Mitch. So. Well, what was that division of responsibilities like then in terms of directing? I came up in the film world, always co-directing. So it was kind of natural for me. You know, I... Phil Flores and myself, you know, we, as the Butcher Brothers, I've always came from like a collaborative team. And, and then you add Jeff in there, who's been uh, in my career since it started, basically. So, and we always had that energy of however we can get the project done, however it makes everybody feel comfortable, we are willing to, you know, put it together. Lee and I spoke and, and you know, I said, hey, how about this? Since this is all moving so fast, and I think that was another uh, uh, you know, ingredient to, to Lee and I co-directing was that uh, as, as we spoke about the, the pre-production was so fast and we were fighting weather and everything. I said, you know, more eyes on the monitor, uh, you know, we could kind of split up duties. Uh, this is going to work a lot, a lot faster, a lot quicker. We're going to have a, a massive safety net. So 
uh, from what I can really tell, like I, I was really working with Jonathan Hall, our, our DP, and Lee was really working with a lot of the actors, especially the, our, our younger cast. He really was championing them, working with them. Since we were fighting a lot of yeah. uh, weather, we were fighting, um, you know, sets and, and locations that we hadn't had the chance yeah. to see or that we were securing at the time so i just kind of had the experience of like look i know how to like put this together with the dp we can just you know get in there organically get our you know our setups going and so it worked uh you know i felt like that was really a, a really great thing and then uh we had a few other cast members uh specifically scout and 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 brett roberts who i had worked with uh, quite a few times in the past so that you know it just all kind of really you know we kind of just meshed into this whole organic team absolutely the the, the thing I always ask co-directors that I always find fascinating is like how do you guys deal with uh, disagreements and like did you have any disagreements and like if you guys did think differently about like a certain aspect of the film or a scene or whatever like how would you guys come together to solve that disagreement there's a lot of opinions and ideas and, and of course, you know, creative expression that comes through with the film. Uh, I think we kind of just all started off and had the idea, Hey, look, this is going to be an intense, you know, uh, uh, month that we have to get through this. So let's all kind of move forward. And I kind of felt like that really happened. I mean, you know, I, I think that Lee and I, you know, just kind of had that understanding right off the, right off the bat where we said, look, you know, we got to just get this done. So there wasn't really much to it. You know, we just kind of put it together and just said, Hey, let's go forward. You know, sometimes I almost felt like it was more of, Hey Lee, does this seem like it's working right now? Yeah. Or, you know, and Lee'd be like, yeah, no. Or Lee'd be like, you know, I got this, you know, cast member who really wants to uh, start crying in this scene, you know, does that seem like it's right or wrong? Yeah. You know, like, ah, it doesn't, you know, and it was more of getting opinions on, I think, but everything else, like, yeah, then it felt like it just, it kind of came together. You know, I'll just be honest, I, I think just being seasoned and, and older in the game, uh, it really helps in that sense where, you know, I can take you back uh, to when Phil and I started, oh, the fights, the arguments, <laughs> the, the egos was just, you know, cause it's both of us kind of stomping our feet. Well, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And you know, that's, it was really bad. I, I, you know, and I think you kind of fast forward, you know, to where we're at now, it was a, a bit different, you know, we just kind of knew we had to get this done and we just moved forward at least. On my side, yeah. Lee could secretly be going. No, not at all. F I'm that guy. No, I. <laughs> I think that you know, Mitch had a lot of points. I think the thing is, this is that there's a difference when you know you've got a friendship, you know, and and you're older, and and you've got someone that's like you know, kind of mentoring you, and you know that that someone's done you know, 16 plus films. You know, there's for me, you know, being you know, as old as I am you just know some things, you know, if I think I was like 25 or something like that, it would have never worked. But I mean, like Mitch is so caring and such a great teacher, you know, at the same exact time. So there was never any arguments or even disagreements. It's just more of like, you know, how do we get this done? And, you know, does that look good to you and asking questions and stuff like that? I mean, that's what we do as filmmakers, all of us. 
does this seem real? You know, we're watchers of truth. So it's always, you know, he's checking with me. I'm looking at the monitor going, oh, that looks weird. And like, he's like, okay, let's change some things up, whatever. Go back to talk to Jonathan, you know? So, I mean, it was a, it was a great experience for me. And I, I, I know Mitch feels the same exact way because uh, we've been, we're going to be working on something else together as well. So it's, it was a lot of fun. Well, Mitch, what do you get out of mentorship? I'm obviously, you talk, it's not all. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer mentorship rightly i mean it's a collaboration and i see that there's a commercial product at the end of it that's going to be quite lucrative for everyone how do you like being approached as a mentor and what rewards do you reap from it a good project uh is is always really great um regardless of how, how you come about it you know it's just like it's you know we're number one you know we it's just always great to see something you know uh created uh out of out of all this but, you know, seeing, to, you know, just as, as Lee kind of said, you know, I wasn't really planning on co-directing uh, uh, the, the, the project. I started off as a, you know, a creative producer, uh, but then it slowly kind of turned out, it just seemed like it really worked out better that way. And, and so when I kind of went in as a co-director, I still kind of kept that attitude of really more of like a creative producer and making sure that, you know, our, you know, our older cast members and our financiers and everybody, you know, felt that safety net and, you know, made sure that the movie kind of pushed forward to answer your question on the mentorship. It's, it's always great to see, you know, uh, new directors, young directors kind of uh, expressing themselves and, and getting the opportunity to, to, you know, to, to shoot a movie, to, you know, see, see them kind of just blossom on set and, for me, it's really, I just take it back to uh, when I started off in, in the film world. It was many moons ago. Uh, there wasn't, you know, and I'm very much aging myself right now, which kind of <laughs> sucks, but, you know, there wasn't the internet. Uh, there wasn't this, you know, there was books, uh, you know, which I read a lot. And that was kind of it. You know, you kind of had to figure out how to be a filmmaker. And so you know, I was lost a lot of times, you know, I was kind of trying to figure things out for myself and, and, you know, and, and this is even, you know, back when I was just kind of doing shorts and whatnot be, before my first feature. Um, so I kind of want to take all the information that I didn't have, the opportunities I didn't have, you know, all that and kind of relay that back into, you know, uh, to newer filmmakers uh, and give that opportunity for them. So, you know, that, that's where I really get out of it. It's, you know, really kind of seeing, you know, filmmakers kind of have the tools and, and just, you know, the ideals and the mentorship that like I wish that I had when, when you know, when I was kind of starting in the game. Nice. So I have a question about process. And when you had an actor who had an idea that you didn't think was right for the for the movie or for the scene, like whether it's like crying in the scene or, or whatever it is, like how do you approach um, convincing that actor that, no, just do it the way that we talked about previously or stick with what's on the script? Like how do you guys approach those conversations? For me, it's always 
when someone doesn't want to do something that, that you want them to do, always asking them, how do you feel? Does that feel right to you? I don't ever do line readings. I know Mitch doesn't either. You know, um, I know there's certain things we want them to do maybe, but, but I feel like, you know, when you have, uh, you know, actors that come from Paul Ruddy, they're ready to go. They know their stuff and they really know their characters. And for me, it's more of like character flaws. Like, would this character actually do that? And if they don't, then let's not do that. But if it feels right for you, I think you should, you know, lean into that and really go for it and make that real choice. Because in theater, you only have a choice, right? You have, you've got that choice you've got to make on stage. And if you don't make that, you know, on, on the stage, then it seems, doesn't seem real. So that's what we're looking at here. We always look at each other. Does that seem real? And as all of us, as, as directors out there, does it seem if you took a step back, you know, you're watching someone in the park, you know, feed some pigeons. Are they just, you know, like throwing bread out there? Or is it, are they naturally just doing, how does that feel? Does it look real to you? So I, I, I don't know. I, I allow them to process, to process whatever they're thinking and feeling, because that's important for me. Mitch? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's well said. Uh, again, coming from this more collaborative energy of co-directing and, and kind of a group mentality as you know, in making films. Um, I've always felt pretty comfortable with actors. Um, when they have ideas to, to open up the character or anything like that, I, I've always been pretty, you know, comfortable with that. You know, like this, this is why we cast you. This is why you're here. Uh, but it does come to the place where if you go too far out this way or it's, you know, let's just say you have five minutes to get the shot. You as a director, you're saying, we need to get this. Uh, you know, we all said, you know, we all wish, hey, let's, let's have seven takes. You do it a few ways. Let me get mine. And, you know, we'll do a couple for safety. We, you know, we all wish we have that. But, like, sometimes you just can't. And as a director, you're thinking about your editing. You're thinking about post. And you just know this is what I need to get. And I think it's just the way you, you know, approach that actor. I think it's the way you, you know, how much trust they have in you. I think after a few days, they kind of start understanding, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about, or this gal really knows her vision. It's, you know, I think the, the trust in the, the director has something to be said, you know, and, and the way I kind of approach actors and, and, and uh, I think, you know, Lee and I did a good job of kind of, uh, uh, you know, teaming up and saying, look, you know, believe in us, we really know what we want this end product to be. Uh, but, you know, we're listening, we're, we really want you to bring this. So where, where can we find that common ground to say, hey, we're going to get what we need to get to get that, uh, to get that edit to, to really work. But yet, you know, you're here to express, you, you know, you're, you're not just here as, you know, to somebody just the say lines you're here to bring this character to life now there are some people that really want to take it and really want to spend the time and that's their process you know uh, should i say actors that they, they just need that moment beforehand and you're moving a mile a minute you're like we got to you know the sun's going your, your sun chasing you're like well you know your dp's like pulling out his or her hair going like, we need to get this going now. And, you know, producers are all tapping on their, on their watches and, you know, and you have an actor going, well, but I, I just, you know, I need this little thing. So I think as, you know, as directors, you know, that's your job. That's where you earn your paycheck. 
you know, and to know, okay, do you have this actor's trust? It's not just setting up your shots. It's not just making the mood, for, you know, it's, you know, if you don't get that, you know, that shot off and you got to come back tomorrow, it's not anybody else's fault. It's the director's fault. Like you screwed up. So um, I, I think it's very important, you know, to, I guess, to circle back to your question to, you know, to really set that precedence of, of working with your actor and, and having them trust you yet allowing them to do their job, uh, you know, to, to bring that character to life. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. So, um, Mitch, you've, you've built this brand, right? The Butcher Brothers, and you've built this legacy. And Lee, you are a part of that now, obviously, and you're collaborating in that world. But I guess I'd love to hear your advice to filmmakers in terms of leveraging projects to get a bigger and bigger influence and how to get those projects off the ground. Wow, it's the world's largest question. Um, so take that and turn it into an answer. What You could even talk about the Dodgers. I don't care. Um, but something, <laughs> But something inspired by what I'm putting out there. It's hard. You know, I wish I could say I made one movie and that just rolled into the next. And then it was just a roller coaster and I was just off and I was just holding but on. That's it what stopped, it looks you know? like. You know what I'm saying? Like to anyone listening, they're going to see you and they're gonna be like, well, it just seems like he's been on this ever evolving roller coaster. Exactly. You know, anybody who's worked with me know, knows, you know, or, or at least I like to think that they, you know, think this way. But uh, I... I'm definitely a very hard worker. I, I take my craft very seriously and, um, you know, almost tunnel vision focused of, you know, getting my projects going to, you know, and, and, you know, getting things off the ground and, and it's, it's my life. I, I was very fortunate at an early age that I started, you know, uh, uh, making films. Um, but, you know, there were just shorts and, and not to, you know, uh, just to say that they're just shorts, it's just the shorts that I were making were absolutely horrible. Uh, you know, I was kind of putting things together, but I got, you know, the, the opportunity to make a feature and I took that very seriously. And what I did was, you know, I just kind of put the mentality in my, in my head of, this is the only opportunity I have to get a film made. And this is probably my last opportunity to get it made. So I really put everything I had into my first feature and, you know, fast forward into quite a few films later, I still use that same, that same attitude where, you know, this could be my last movie that I'm ever making. So I'm going to make it the best possible project. I really stay true to my vision. And, and I think if you kind of go back and, and I think I could, you know, speak uh, uh, to, you know, for Phil, when we started making films together, we, it, it, you also had the idea of how do these films kind of come together? So to kind of answer, you know, I think that it wasn't just making a film and then just scrambling to make the next, kind of thinking about that body of work all throughout, you know, your career uh, to say, hey, this is going to be my, my legacy, yet having an intensity for each film to be the best possible film that you could make it. I guess just stopping and saying, hey, when somebody looks back, is it just a bunch of scattered movies all over the place? You see a through line, you know, it's not just 
this movie, put all your energy into it and shoot it like it's your last, but also have in mind, you know, what's your body of work going to look like, you know, through the ages. Right. So then going back to, to Liz's question earlier about like being a mentor and, you know, what you want to impart to younger filmmakers, like having said all that, like what should like the filmmaker who maybe has made a couple shorts and they're looking to make their first feature, or maybe they've made one feature, but they're not sure how to get their next feature made. Like what advice would you get, give to that person after you've made your 12 features and you've got, you know, more coming down the line? Like, what would you say to that person? Of course, it always helps uh, to get exposure with your first film, you know? So I'll just kind of have the mandatory explanation of like, yes, you know, it's like, go out and win Sundance. Hey, go out and, you know, win this festival, that festival. Hey, you know, get that Netflix deal. Um, exposure with your film is great. You know, that just goes unsaid. You know, you, you take that film and it's almost like currency, right? That film is going to help you uh, get into doors and, 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 and all that. Now, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of great filmmakers who you're like, what, what? Oh, that's their first film. You know, uh, it's like, you know, a lot of people didn't know that PTA did hard aid or, or, you know, there's also a lot of movies that, you know, you haven't heard, but you use that movie, like is, um, use that movie as a, as a calling card. You know, when you meet with other people, uh, show them that movie or show the energy that you have with that film like one of my first films was not very well seen. Um, it had done a couple festivals and uh, that was about it. It was, I kind of called this movie kind of my, you know, college thesis kind of film, but I would take that to people and said, let's just sit down, watch this movie. Yeah, it's not the greatest thing, but you know, it was very beautifully shot. It had some, it was a very artsy fartsy movie. And, but I would sit there with them and, you know, really tell them like, you know, this, I only had a couple bucks to do this thing and, and whatnot and not excuses, but really, you know, said, this is what my vision is for the next movie. And you can kind of see what I was trying to get at with that, you know, using that movie as leverage to, you know, uh, to, to get into the, to the next meeting, uh, to the next group, to the next show, and to the next film festival. Uh, you know, it's, that's, you know, it's just having completed a movie to me is like, wow, okay, you did something, you know, you have done something. And, you know, you people should take that and use that as, you know, uh, say like, look, I can make a movie. Uh, so be it a short or feature, you know, you, you can complete that. So, okay, let's talk about your next thing. What's going on? So, um, Lee, do you have um, anything to say about in terms of this kind of advice or I'd love to hear your perspective as well. Yeah. I, you know, coming from a, a background where, like Mitch said before, you know, I called the uh, Rodriguez. He wrote a book called uh, rebel without a crew and uh, Robert Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yeah, so I come from, coming from that, you know, Mitch and I, both the backgrounds, I shot some, some eight and some 16 and stuff like that. And I think these days, especially now, I think as young filmmakers, I mean, like, you know, and I'm a gearhead. I mean, you can get a 12K camera for $10,000. Not like you're going to show something in 12K anyway, but I mean, like, 
uh, the black magic, I, I've been using the Ursa many and been shooting and stuff like that forever and kind of DPing and stuff like that because you have to sometimes, and, you know, when you're filmmaking, you don't have films. But I think that these days it's a lot easier to, in order to get project out there. And like Mitch said, you know, a short is a great way to start, you know, and to get people talking about you. I mean, I was at a, we were at a film festival, a film festival in New York and I met this guy, his name was Niels or something like that. And he wrote a short called uh, Swipe. Literally, there was like no talking, great sound design. And he got an agent, I think at WME or something like that or whatever, in Los Angeles because it was, you know, they're trying to make this whole feature. And it was great. The girl swiping and this guy keeps showing up, you know, unannounced in her DMs or whatever. She keeps swiping and like, kind of like tender, like, no, I don't like this guy. And when she shows the picture or she sees her phone again, he's now taking a picture of her somehow. And she's looking over his shoulder, like in the subway of New York. And it's like, he's spying on her. It was a great concept, but like he literally spent, it's like a five minute short or three minute, three and a half minute short. And he got everybody's eyes. I mean, he was winning awards. And so these days, I think uh, coming from that perspective of like, you know, you don't have to have a lot. You just have to have the ingenuity and uh, to be creative. Uh, there, I mean, I, I mean, I say that, you know, like, like Mitch said, it's a very hard industry, you know, um, you know, to get in the space of shooting a feature. But I, like, I come from a, from a, you know, a background where, you know, we shot a movie for 250 bucks called Date for Hire. Um, this place, Maverick Entertainment or whatever, bought the film. And then before you knew it, it was at Blockbuster, you know, when there were Blockbuster days. Blockbuster nights, you know. So I shot it for next to nothing. You know, it's not that great. It's actually, you know, pretty bad. But um, you know, it taught myself to go from point A to point B, you know, especially these days, you know, when you have editing and stuff like that, you, think, you know, I'm going to cut the movie myself and see what happens. And before you know it, you know, we're, we're sitting in front of Blockbuster. People are like, don't rent that movie. It's the worst movie in the world. Mike. And I'm like looking at them like, if you only knew, you know, <laughs> like how much money we spent on this thing, like Mitch said before, it's like, you know, we've all done things. But I think to answer your question as far as mentoring um, and you got to believe in yourself, you know, in an industry where no one's going to take you seriously you guys know what i'm talking about it's like digging deep inside in order to get stuff done you can't no one wants to do no one wants to invest in a person that won't invest in, in themselves that's it you you got to have passion and, and and this is not for the weary you have to have passion and you just have to really want it more than somebody else like gary you just gotta want it you have to want it and, and have and be creative i mean that's what our job is so I just want to put a button on what you're both saying here about like taking that movie that like, let's say you don't get into Sundance, you don't get in South by Southwest, you don't get a great distribution deal. You get like, you know, whatever, an average distribution deal, or maybe you don't even get distribution, whatever, but like taking that movie that you made, uh, whether it's a short or a feature and just championing it and showing it to people and being enthusiastic and excited about it and showing your passion for it is like such great advice. Because like there's so many people that you see who make their first feature or even their first short and then it doesn't get them to where they wanted it to be. Like it doesn't get into Sundance. It doesn't do these things that they thought it might do. And then they don't, then they either like, they just, they don't even want to talk about it because it's like, because it's a disappointment to them. And I think that's like the biggest mistake you can make. Like you got to, you know, no matter what happens with your movie, if you love it and you like show it off and like you like, like put it up on this pedestal because you're so proud of the work that you did then people are going to rally behind you that's just how it goes absolutely you know totally agree with that all right you're absolutely right it's you know it just comes up what lee and you are saying people are going to invest in you so 
if you make a film and it doesn't do anything, let's just say like a festival and you just kind of, you're like, yeah, okay, well, I don't want to talk. Then uh, I feel that energy. Like, I'm like, well, then I'm not really into your next thing. Cause you just, you got a couple of rejections off your film and there you go. Like, you don't care. You're just kind of looking for the next thing versus you're still like, look, okay, maybe this wasn't perfection. This wasn't, you know, the, the movie that, you know, the, the lightning in the bottle movie that just won every award. Uh, but it's, there's something here, like, you know, let's explore this, the next one. So I, I just saying, like, I think you really got, you know, that, uh, you know, that, that that's really important. It's as what Lee said, like, you know, I, for me to take, you know, to work with somebody, especially a younger filmmaker, it's, it's the investment of yourself. Awesome. Well, let's get to our final five questions then. So what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? My first feature was a film called Long Cut. Um, <laughs> I, and I, I just, I had talked about it, but it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's about an eight-year-old mute girl and a ranch hand, their friendship, horses. And uh, like I said, it was, uh, it was more like a college thesis, but um it was shot in super 16, uh, back in the mid nineties. And, uh, I, I, I still love it, but, uh, you know, it's just one of those things I kind of look back at and said, wow, like I could really kind of, you know, see this and see all the mistakes I've made, but it also opened doors to, uh, you know, to lurking in suburbia, which was my, the film that people really consider as my, my first film. Uh, but it really was long cut that, you know, opened those doors for me. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I mentioned also too much. I like long cut. I love it a lot. You know, I, it's a good <laughs> film. I mean, you know, so they should revise that a little bit and throw some horror in there as well. But that it was a good film. I mean, <laughs> um, for me, you know, date for hire was, uh, uh, was a learning experience, you know, to get your friends to do something that they didn't want to do to become actors. Um, Jamal Jennings, which was one of the, uh, writers with uh, Adam and also Mitch for the story of Starlight, I had him acting in this movie. You know, I'm like, dude, I know you're not really an actor right now, but I need you to be do this thing for me because we got this crazy, you know, uh, rom-com, you know, that we're going to, we were going to shoot. And we did it. And I learned, you know, I, I'm really grateful for that experience. I mean, I didn't make any money or anything like that, but uh, for me, the experience is worth more than anything else. I mean, I was willing to, you know, as Mitch did too as well, you're willing to shoot things regardless if there's money or not in it for you. And if you can do that, I think that you, you can be quite successful. Similar to what you just said, what's the best filmmaking advice you've ever received, um, both of you? Uh, for me, I just, you know, I have a um, little podcast called B-Rated or whatever. Uh, and I was talking with Mike Schwartz and Tyler Nielsen. And Mike just directed Peanut Butter Falcon with Shia LaBeouf. The best advice that he could that he gave on my, on the podcast was this: is that, and I've been friends with Mike uh, for probably about twenty years, twenty years or so. He was actually living in the hills of L.A. because they couldn't afford to be living in L.A., so they had to get away from it. And they built a tree fort in the in the Hollywood Hills, in the forest. I mean, literally, they lived. And this is type. This is the true story. I sort of got. I saw them there when they were doing it. It was out of control. So they went from being inside of the forest, and this is five years out before they wrote the script, you know, because it took about seven years. And I actually read the first script. I was like, this is amazing, you know. But anyway, they lived there, 
And from there, because they were broke, they moved from there to set to shoot the movie with Shia. But it was a, you know, so they were willing to shoot this movie for $10,000 or if it was $8 million or $4 million that they shot the film for. So best advice I've ever gotten before was if you can shoot this movie for $200 or $10,000 or $5,000, shoot it. Prove to people that it's worth something. And it goes back to what Mitch said before. You know, you, you got to have some passion, you know, and that, that, account, that accounts for a lot of, of hiccups that are going to, you know, the movie might not be, be perfect, but it accounts for a lot. But be willing to shoot this for free. You know, I'm going to run camera. You know, Mitch is going to direct. Dude, what do you, you want to do, Mitch? Oh, I'm doing this other horror. Film. Okay, great. I got a camera. You direct. What, I mean, do whatever it takes. And that's kind of the, you know, what I've gotten from other filmmakers. And I believe that as well. The best advice I ever got was on my first film, Long Cut, we had the seasoned gaffer and Phil and I were arguing and, you know, things were going crazy. And, you know, it was that, that energy of like, you know, the passion, the egos, I, I need to get my creative expression going. I need to get my words out. I need people to feel what I'm trying to, you know, give them. I remember this old gruff gaffer just, you know, he just looked and he was just looked at me and was just like, you'll learn one day, you'll learn. And that was it. That was the advice. <laughs> I've, I've talked to many great people, many great filmmakers, but for some reason, just that guy just going, you'll learn. And then just fast forward into like, oh yeah, like there's no reason for any of this. Just, you know, if you surround yourself with great people, if you have a good AD, you have a good editor, you have good, it just, there's no reason whatsoever to like have any of this, you're good. Whatever you're trying to say, if you're actually a competent director, you're gonna say it, there's no reason for argument. So it, that, that always stuck with me. Just, you'll learn. Do you guys have goals as filmmakers? Definitely have goals. I think that um, it's, you know, hit, you know, hit part of that that question earlier, which is you have to try to look at your body of work or what you want to try to create as a filmmaker. And you don't necessarily know if it's going to work out for you, but I believe that you have to have this plan or a goal inside of your mind, like you said, like, um, like what are my next, you know, five features if I were, if everything would have come together, you know, perfectly. Yeah, I think that there's a, you, there's a definitive plan. My plan is to, you know, not just make another movie, but make an impact um, on people's lives. I mean, Mitch and I are working on something now, you know, together. And um, again, it's going to be like the kind of the same team again and stuff like that, you know. And yeah, I think that there's something, we, and we get a chance to say something different that we didn't say before uh, inside of a Starlight as well. So yeah, I think there's always a definitive plan. I really want to just, as a, as a director, I want to, you know, continue making films, but uh, subject matter and, and things that are, you know, important to me and, and that I'm just truly interested in, you know, so that's, you know, that's going to slow down kind of more the directing side. And then, you know, I'm also, again, as, as we were talking about, like, in a, you know, as a creative, as a, as a creative producer, not really directing, but, you know, really kind of taking on, uh, projects where with up and coming directors, uh, up and coming talent that I could kind of help shepherd, uh, you know, that, that really feels, you know, interesting to me, like, you know, after uh, having a good run as a director and kind of got to say a lot of 
the stuff that I want to say. And so now it's, I'm, you know, I'm kind of interested in what other people have to say and, you know, shut my mouth for a while and, 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 you know, let them kind of do the talking. If you could go back in time, what's the piece of advice you'd give yourself um, as a, a younger, a younger, younger chap? If I could give advice to myself as a chap, I would tell myself that everything I'm experiencing now doesn't really matter. I mean, no question mark. I mean, it does and it doesn't. And just be okay in your body and know that the universe has your back and you eventually get to where you need to be. For myself, it's kind of, uh, I'm kind of stealing a little bit from, from George Lucas. I remember back in the, you know, I think it was in the 90s, I saw him speak at UC Berkeley. He kind of talked about how he just, and I don't think this is, you know, any secret, we all know this, but it's like filmmakers were always so quick to get to the next project, right? A lot of your questions were, how do you roll that out to the next project? How do you get to this next stage? That's all we want, right? We want a bigger budget. Uh, we want to work with uh, uh, bigger crews, bigger sets, blah, blah, um, And it's always a race, right? And you forget that, you know, years of your life go by. You're not talking about, oh, you're doing this project and then the next month it rolls out. We're talking about years and years. Uh, if you don't stop and look back, years have gone by. You know, so it's enjoying the process, enjoying the now. And that's really what I've been really trying to do. And I think that's maybe why I, I'm more interested in working with other filmmakers is that I can stop and enjoy that process and enjoy the world around me. Because I had a part of my life where around 2011 to 2017, where I was, you know, very fortunate, but I was, I was shooting with one movie and then during post, I would be in pre-production for the next movie. And again, champagne problems, right? But that kind of, it all just became, I, I can't even turn around now and say, man, I really, this one moment of this particular, it's all just one big mesh of just a, a blur. So uh, I'm really trying to, enjoy each individual thing uh you know and and day by day uh, you know that that process because it, it will go by quickly and then the last question for both of you is making movies hard i guess i'll just jump back in uh one of the hardest things known to man it's it's you know it, it really is a difficult difficult project. Now, I think Lee was saying, you know, and, and I think we all know this, you can grab your iPhone, your laptop, some good sound equipment, and you could actually make a movie. It's been proven, right? You know, we've seen uh, indie features, we've seen some of the greats do this. It's truly the constant reject rejections, the arguments, the egos, the, uh, just the sheer craziness. It's just you know, I can tell you through my career, I've been one day, I've just been on cloud nine, feel like I could, you know, conquer the world and the next just feel like, you know, I'm at the bottom of the pit and there's no way of climbing out of it. And this is like, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I'm talking about 
24 hour periods where you get this amazing review in variety or Hollywood reporter. And then the next, you know, you're like, I, I'm on top of the world kind of thing, you know, not to quote cheesy lines, but, and then the next, a project is just, you know, completely crumbles into shambles, you know, that you have set up at a big studio or something like that. It's, I mean, and to get back up and do that all over again, to get back up and sit in front of your computer to write your next script, to put on that smile on your face to like go network and or try to raise funds or or try to get your next project that is hard you know and it but that, that is like you know that that's intense like you know you got to be on that emotional roller coaster it's just it's just one ass whooping after the other. And then there's great times, you know, high risk, high rewards. But then when you're hitting it, when you're showing your movie at its first screening to a full house, sold out house at like South by Southwest, there is no other feeling. But that, that only lasts for that night. And then the next day you've got to, you got to do it again. And you almost have, not, you know, it's like the amazing stories of like hearing like, M. Night Shyamalan, like leaving the, you know, studios in tears after he's already had, you know, four success stories, you know, films. It's like, a, you're like, that guy's leaving the studio, like in tears. Like people literally are watching him enter the elevator crying. And you're like, oh, you think that's going to be an easy, you know, you think this is just, you're just going to roll into this industry and just do it? Like, they are, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say, you know, it's like, I mean, Mitch pretty much said everything, but I, I believe that, you know, making movies is extremely hard. And it's like, I remember Mitch telling me, he's like, dude, you better work out every day. I'm like, why? He's like, it's going to be murder. And making a good movie is murder. I mean, you, you know, you have to be physically at your best because you're going to get sick if you don't. You know, I mean, if it's 17 days, 14 days, three months, I mean, you got to, you got to get ready, you know, and mentally, it's a lot of mental stuff, but also too, it's rigorous on your body. I mean, I remember looking at Mitch at one point and it was late. Mitch was figuring out some of the scheduling stuff. And there's all these cards on the board. He's like, dude, we had to do it. <laughs> he looked at me and, and his Mitch form is like, we got to do it. And we got to, we got to stay up. And we, we, we had been up for a long time already. And my like, my eyes were like, we're very sleepy, you know, and Mitch was like, okay, get, get some coffee and let's get into this right now. You know, and sort of picking things apart and stuff like that, you know, and yeah. So making a movie is hard, but making a good movie is murder. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's the truth. You know, it's true. Mitch. So guys, what should people do if they want to find out more about you? Like, you know, where can they see Starlight? It's, it's released by this point when this, this episode comes out, it'll be on VOD. So what should people do after they listen to this podcast? Yeah. Uh, August 4th. Uh, Starlight comes out on VOD. I think it's pretty much on all, you know, all VOD platforms. So you could go out and rent it uh, in the safety of your home. Uh, for myself, you can go to sffilms.com to see my past work. That's uh, just like San Francisco films, uh, just sffilms.com. And you can see my, my past work. Um, 
but yeah, the starlight, I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Uh, Lee did a great job and uh, the cast did a wonderful job. You know, just uh, it's a, a very great kind of late nineties throwback kind of that. I know what you did last summer vibe to it. The faculty, all that, you know, fun stuff. Yeah. You're going to like it. I mean, I, the cast is beautiful. Like Mitch said, you know, and they're just on top of being beautiful. They're really good actors, and they were just a great. You know, it was a lot of fun to work with them. Um, for myself, uh, we the movie director on on IG. That's about it for me. I don't really have a lot of past work, but um, this is going to be a past work. So hopefully, you know, we'll be talking soon again, you guys. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for listening and thanks so much to Mitch and Lee for being on the show and for Jeff Allard for setting this up. Jeff's also the producer of The Alternate and kind of how I know Mitch and Lee. Uh, You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find links to things we talked about in this episode, including, I think I'll probably try to put as many of Mitch's uh, movie trailers as I can on this so people can just really see the breadth of work that Mitch has done. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. I am RP on Twitter and Instagram. And Liz, where are you? I'm at Liz Manischel Film on Instagram and then at Liz Manischel on Twitter. If you like the show, tell a friend. Help us get the word out. And finally, thanks to our producers, Greg Holtman, Joshua Sterling Bragg, editor, Colby Crow, the entire Bloodstream Media team for making this episode possible. And we will talk to you guys next week. Yes. Beep, beep, boop, bop. Podcast. Podcast. Amazing. Yeah. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.